Welcome to the Old Dog New Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff West, and I'm going to spend some time talking about tech and looking at how the old dog ways really are all that old. I'm going to look at some integration ideas, discuss some successes and failures, and show you that it's really not about being perfect, but it's about being patient when it comes to integrating technology. I'm a high school educator, been teaching music band for most of my career, but I am a a big tech enthusiast, and I really enjoy uh, researching and finding answers and ways to integrate tech that don't take up so much time. Let's get going. It is episode 20, 20 episodes. Woo, woo, woo. I'm going to look at diffusion of innovation. Don't turn it off. It's more interesting than it sounds, or maybe that sounds interesting. I don't know. I think it's interesting. I think you will too, and we take a, look, a little closer look at it. And I'm going to talk about it in regards to using Google Drawing and Slides. I like to create email brochures, or I'm starting to look at them more as a billboard. In episode 19, I discussed ways of communicating and the ways that I use. And in this episode, I'm going to just zoom in on a couple of Google apps, drawing and slides, and my reasons for choosing the style of communication I use. When I look back over some of the things I said in the last episode and previously, I see sometimes I look at things and when I'm deciding on podcasts, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what, what's going to be innovative? What's going to be something that might catch some folks' attention? Trying to just keep it basic. You know, as the, using my, my background, my old dog background, one of the things I think most frameworks and new things in education fail to grab onto is the saturation of their audience. So if I come in here talking about breakouts and coding and uh, I don't know, some other deeper, you know, really involved uses of tech, I don't know about you, but I would quickly lose my interest. In fact, say 10, 12 years ago, I did lose my interest because there wasn't a whole lot that applied to me, but it has changed immensely. So sometimes some things I've been doing, I look at as not really all that noteworthy or innovative, but communicating and sharing features that I use have enabled me to create and communicate info or content or events or whatever. Uh, I think so they're more memorable and engaging, but it's not just the tech, it's the other pieces of research that I use with that. Um, And I use it also because I think it would meet the needs of my community and parents and students that I'm either informing or um, uh, communicating with. So here are the ways I use these two apps, drawings and slides, and a few little pitfalls, things I learned along the way. Uh, The two uses I think anybody can do, and I think they're very common. I'm, I'm, you know, if you go back to the SAMR model, I'm substituting and augmenting and replacing uh, things that I could do without tech. I could do these without tech. I don't think I could do them as effectively. 
So let's give it a listen. Hello? Communicating is a part of um, my job, and I like communicating. Communicating is good. I'm just kidding with you. Uh, it's a big part of my job. It's a big part of any teacher's job, not just communicating with your students. I mean, we spend years and thousands of dollars in PD learning how to do that, and maybe communicating with parents as well is kind of a focus sometimes, but I think mostly we focus on student communication, delivering a content, so forth. It could be more engaging for students, but all of the teaching and rehearsing can be directly affected by poor communication to parents and community. So let me say that again. You can spend all that time in PD figuring out how to deliver content, and particularly in the music area when we have concerts and other community gigs. If you don't get the word out and get that support going and develop the relationship with the parents, a lot of your rehearsing and in-class in work won't get out, and it may not seem as meaningful then to your students. It's an uphill battle. It's a constant battle. We're always working to get community engaged and present that positive reputation of a program, and I think the same thing of a school and a classroom. So, you know, I've sent home millions, feels like, of papers with calendars, agendas, rules, procedures, mimeograph copies, crank the old mimeograph, that were typed up or typed documents that I used uh, white out, the liquid in the bottle or the typewriter ribbon, remember that? Ugh. Seems so great at the time. But now that I have websites and docs to communicate so many events. Well, I mean, come on. I love tech. I mean, and, and I think you're probably picking up on that since I do a podcast from my standpoint of being a teacher for 27 years and seeing the technology come from the typewriter through to handheld touchscreen devices and who knows what's next. But I love tech, just in case I didn't say that enough. The many people that um, I communicate with, though, are still getting used to tech. They're still enjoying the typewriter time, the, the paper communication in your hand. And uh, so I'm trying to make a transfer, you know, slowly but surely. And it, it's becoming more common, the use of tech for communication. But I know many are still not reading emails or checking websites. And they look for papers. Assuming your students take them home and they don't end up on the floor or still in their backpack. Um, so I think we're in this gray area of time where both are still being utilized. We still get a newsletter Someone email, and there's a, still a newspaper that gets sent to our homes from the district about different things that are happening or upcoming events. I think that at one time they had made a transfer to uh, a different type of paper, so it was a little more 
It was a little shorter, a little more like a brochure. But I think slowly but surely they're starting to use less paper and do more digitally. And parents are getting used to it. You know, change is slow. And sometimes I'm slow to change. I would say definitely I fit there eight years, 10 years ago. And sometimes I'm impatient for change to happen. And that's where I'm at more often. So when I am thinking about subjects like communicating and how do I get the word out? How, how has this become more effective, more meaningful? I try to remember uh, where I'm at, where others may be at by considering um, Everett Rogers' uh, research. Uh, in, and this was more in the marketing business field, but it really applies uh, to the communication. I don't care where you're at or what you're doing. Uh, if you're communicating, he started researching uh, how innovation, innovative products get diffused, where you finally get them out into more people's hands, and how what 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 are the effects? What are the what are the characteristics? And how do you make this smoother and faster? And this was in um, uh, Iowa State University in uh, the 1950s, and he focused on he and some colleagues focused on change or innovation and how it occurred. And there were different um, levels, characteristics, let me try that again, take two, characteristics of people. You had, starting with those that are uh, more apt to adapt change or innovations, you have the innovators, then early adopters, the early majority, the late majority, and the laggards. And at one time or another, we all are in these from almost one minute to another. And when you change the subject, you know, some can, if you say Facebook, it can be a lot of late majority, even some people who are early adopters and innovators with that. But then there's people like me who I'm a late majority on that. I still am not using Facebook very often. Um, but when it comes to the Google apps, you can put me up in the early adopters and innovators. I'll grab onto Google did this. Okay, let me go check that out. Let me try it in my classroom. Here's the top 10 most yada yada educational tech things. Okay, let me see what they are and how can I get them in my classroom ASAP? Will they fit the needs of my students though? I want to make that clear. Sometimes I don't get to any of them. I know they're there. Uh, Classcraft is one. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the needs of my classroom. But man, does that look cool. You should check it out. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going to tell you anymore. So what's this have to do with the methods of communicating and using tech? Well, I guess when I close each podcast with being patient and not perfect, or I send an email, a tweet, or a remind with the same message, I'm considering or trying to meet the needs of all the people, all the parents, grandparents, students, whether they're in my program or not, who are adapting to the change no matter what stage of the diffusion of innovation they are in, what level. And believe me, when it comes to communicating, you could be an early adopter and then a late majority. It just really, there are all kinds of, of variables that, that affect that. If you think about that a little bit, and where are you at? One of my first podcasts was that question, where are you at? Where are you at with tech? 
And where you're at is fine to be there. Where you're at, it's fine. I think the part, and there's always a not fine, an unfine, is if you just stay there. This tech innovation, emerging tech, it's here. It's going to be here for a while. And it's more, it's becoming more and more researched and being proven that it's enhancing learning in some cases at a, a, an alarming, incredible state. And so I think as teachers, we must investigate anything that presents us the opportunity to make learning better, stronger, faster. Boom, 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 boom. Six million dollar man. Anybody? Sometimes, though, in this uh, diffusion of innovation, students are often the same, and it might be worth looking at the research of Everett Rogers or of diffusion of innovation has also been researched by others and determining, determining where your students are. And sometimes you are the stimulus. You are the catalyst that pushes them from the laggards, which is the bottom, the people that no change, no thank you, mm -mm, zero zilch that you take them out of there and they become late adopters. And then eventually if something changes with that piece of tech or piece of uh, innovation, that they, upon the next change, become innovators. And I think that shows a communication, a critical thinking, a creativity and collaboration, those four C's in the 21st century skills. I think that shows a, a growth there that we don't grade, but it will last. And this, considering this, can often be the contributing factor to the successful integration of technology. So take a look at, uh, I put a link in the show notes to uh, his book, Diffusion of Innovation, and I believe a, a couple of websites that uh, present kind of a, in a nutshell of of uh, each of the levels, I guess, of diffusion. And uh, so maybe that will help you to realize what your needs are, what the needs of your students are, and how you can best take the next step. I think for me, one of the best pieces of tech that I use is my Google site that I have for my high school band or bands. I share seasonal or yearly event schedules uh, pictures, maps, and most recently, uh, email brochures or posters, or I'm starting to kind of call them more of a billboard. Sometimes they just have one or two pieces of information. Some of the more recent ones have three or four, but they always have visuals to them visual updates, realizing that the research shows that images are great ways to present content because content enhances learning. And that's the official jargon. But images help people commit details to memory. I create a, a Google site and making it visually engaging is along the lines of what I'm talking about. So make your web website worth a visit and a revisit. Make periodic changes, Tweet out those changes, maybe create a drawing or a slide that you put into that site. 
or a slideshow that changes when they visit the site, they can see a bunch of different slides, but they also have the controls to stop those slides so they could focus on whatever the content is at the time that's there. I have a couple of videos in my slides of uh, the online sources, resources, and how to sign up for Remind, or we use Google Pay, we use PayPal, you know, how to sign up for that. Those inform The information is there in video form. It's also there in uh, a downloadable uh, PDF. Again, I'm trying to reach all those innovators or late adopters, early adopters, something, some, all of them, they, you all, they all fit. All of the folks that are using your content fit somewhere in there. And so having multiple options for them, because most likely they're probably, let's just say they're innovative in the use of video, but they don't like to download things anymore. It takes up too much room. That may not be a very good example because you got to download, don't you? But they might be more apt to use video. More apt to use video because 50% statistic here, statistic time. That's what I was looking for. That's why the big pause. 50% of our brain, over 50%. Nope, sorry, I looked at the wrong line. Almost 50% of our brain is, is focused on visual processing. Another little one on video. Time spent per day watching videos by adults in the U.S. grew by more than five times from an average of 39 seconds per day in 2011 to an average of one minute and 55 seconds in 2015. And usage is trending upward. So the use of video or even something that's like the video that's interactive, I think, I think the interactivity of a video, the connection, the engagement. So maybe the engagement of a slide is a, definitely a step down from video. But that may meet the needs of your know, folks that need time to process that picture, that information that you're putting on the slide. And then when they watch the video, they can always go back and watch it again. So slides are kind of like a little slower moving video. Something to consider, I think, is how people use video and how it is growing. That's a, that's a huge growth, five times. And that was three years ago. Wonder where that's at now. So I like to use uh, create a Google drawing and put in some pictures of the kids or pictures, you know, general pictures of things. If we're going to be playing uh, at a particular place, maybe a picture of that building. But in many cases, I have pictures from when we did gigs before and I can put those in and your kids in uniform um, next. And then above it says we're marching here. We're playing here. Christmas uh, holiday concerts. 
And we know that those, those um, when you have both a short amount of text that is connected to the picture, that it seems, uh, seems to me the percentages people are about 32%, maybe 40% more likely to recall that information than if it just has text. That's pretty significant. That's pretty significant. So you want to, uh, you know, instead of maybe that long email and a couple of paragraphs long with maybe some different font, and believe me, I still get those all the time, and I read them as an adult. But in this case, I'm trying to do something that is different, that will be memorable, because what we're doing in the priority list of family lives can be down the list a little bit even with concerts that the students are in and there's just a lot happening in people's lives. So anything I can do to help with the memory process is a plus. And if it makes it more engaging, then there's a reputation communicated there. There's a, uh, an energy I think that you send out when you use images and colors and keep it short. People like it when you keep it short, it shows a respect for their time. And I think that's huge. I'm not saying that we don't have any respect for people's time. If we sent paragraphs, I guess I need to be careful about that. That's not what I'm saying. It's just, um, I think that if you can communicate events and uh, updates in a more engaging way, that it, it communicates a, an, an energetic uh, overall reputation for your program, for your group. Okay. But maybe you need some more. How about this? In a peer-reviewed blog post about promoting science, but I think this works for anything, James Baum gives the following reasons, uh, or rather states of uh, further support for the use of images and less text. He states, we process images at an alarming speed. When we see a picture, we analyze it with a very short snippet of time, within a very short snippet of time, knowing the meaning and scenario within it immediately. The human brain is able to recognize a familiar object within 100 milliseconds. People tend to recognize familiar faces within 380 milliseconds, which is pretty speedy. That's what he says, pretty speedy. And I agree, that's pretty speedy. Considering this, I, I encourage you to try uh, creating a Google drawing or slide, then inserting your images, preferably one of students, um, as long as it's okay with them and the parents, you know, since you're going to send out an email, some folks prefer they not be uh, put on social media in that way. Um, but the date and the time and maybe a catchphrase, you don't want to miss this. Um if more info is warranted, I suggest you create a doc and link it in the email so they can click it and go read it later and, and draw their attention to it. More info below. Once you make the slide or the drawing, you download it as a PNG. So in Google, you go to File, you go to Download As, and PNG is one of the choices. Download it as a PNG, then you can open up your email. You know, click your right contact list, insert that PNG in the body of your email by clicking the insert image. And that's it. 
I found it's easier. Uh, it's much more fun on my end to be creative to present it, which can be pretty boring when you're trying to, you know, type up. It's like you're typing up another short paper for English class or something that's not as engaging, perhaps. No offense, English teachers, writing is very important. You can Then you can post this email brochure or billboard on your Google site or any other site that allows the images or PNGs to be inserted. Voila. It sounds pretty simple. It's not at first. Be patient. I like to use Google Sites for uh, because anything that's Google, it can be put on the site pretty easy. Moreover, that the site is housed on your drive so you can find it. Uh, I know some people would like to be able to code and create a unique website experience, but in order to create a seamless, easy and quick way of creating and uploading uh, and updating a website, you just can't beat Google Sites. I, I have used Wix, I've used Weebly, um, I've looked at WordPress. Uh, you know, if you're a coder, then you might want to look at one of those options. I think they provide, I think classic Google Sites still provide, is still there. And um, I think you have the opportunity if you like to code and try to create something unique, you like to be a builder in that way. But new Google Sites, very integrated, very easy to update and create really a pretty cool website, pretty interactive, uh, visually appealing, something that your people are going to want to visit and something you're going to enjoy because once you start getting used to it, man, uh, your productivity and your level of your speed will increase. And um, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Tech Treat this week is an approach, integration approach, and a tool. Why don't you try one or two new tools, but use them as often as you can and ask your students for ideas on how to use the tool. Maybe create a project assignment and put one or two of the tools as choices that the students could use, and you let them pick, or they can pick another tool. When students have freedom or they have control of learning, it's very effective in teaching. It, 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 it connect, creates connections in their head. I remember I did that assignment because I used this tool and it worked out really well. I was very pleased with it. Let go of the controls and let your students be creative. I bet at first they'll look at you like you've lost your mind. And you may feel that way too. I remember when I said, hey, I want you to create um, a visual history of the Baroque composers we just looked at. And you can use slides or you can use anything to present it and get to your own images and, and, you know, the jaws open, the mouth and the eyes glaze over because the brain's processing at a speed of, what do you mean you're not just going to tell me? Just tell me what you want me to do. Just give it to me and let me just plug some pictures in, and, which is not really very meaningful. They don't recall it. But you'll get used to it. And your students will get used to it. Once that creativity starts to flow, then sometimes you almost have to, you know, you have to figure out how to control the creativity just a little bit. Your tool, your tool or tools, video apps, 
like Edpuzzle. You can use or create a video and add questions or audio descriptions. You can share the project with your students. You can use it to introduce content and or and to rather assess previous knowledge or create a closing assessment if uh, using YouTube videos in your classroom is an issue. So if you use that puzzle and you happen to choose a YouTube video, sometimes the suggestions at the end of the YouTube video are not exactly things that you would want your students to see. So if that's the case, you may want to try Watchkin. I put a link in the show notes. It takes you to uh, a site and you get the share um, code from the YouTube video and you put it in the box and then it creates a separate area where that video is shown and only that video. No ads, no extra videos at the end. Watch Ken, W-A-T-C-H-K-I-N. There are several other choices out there. Watchkin has been pretty cool. I've used it a couple of times. And uh, I know you can probably, it seems like YouTube has just come out with a safe kids version as well. I'm not as familiar with that. I'll have to look, it, look at that and tell you about it maybe in another podcast. Watchkin. And that is it for episode 20, 20 episodes zipping right by. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. If you are, give me a review on in iTunes. I've gotten a few, but I'm waiting on a few more trying to get this podcast to be easier to find, get it out there, get it moving and grooving. Drop me a note too. I'd love to hear from you and what you're doing and your ideas. And um, just a little note that I referred to earlier in this show. You know, I'm a definitely an older experienced teacher. And um, it every time I read a Twitter feed or a blog post, and I look at the picture of the people that are writing it. They're all young pups, and they're all fired up, and they grew up with tech. I didn't. Um, you know, when when Pong came out, I couldn't believe it. And those ceramic-like discs that you inserted into the game. And since then, all of the changes that have happened have been rough. I have been a laggard. But I have made a transition to becoming much more of an innovator or an early adopter and uh, embraced change. And I think you will, too, once you get started. So just one or two pieces of tech. Be patient. It's going to be just fine. This has been the Old Dog New Tech Podcast with your host, Jeff West. I hope you enjoyed your time. And remember, with EdTech integration, it's about being patient and not perfect. <laughs>